This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. Well, our world finds itself, once again, in the midst of a cognitive fog. A cognitive fog in which you are being told what to believe about what is happening in the world events and conflicts that are happening around you. And if you would just step back for a moment, away from all the emotion, all of the constant propaganda... Away from the minute-by-minute news cycle that is telling you how you must emotionally respond to the Russian incursion into Ukraine, you need to step back for a moment and view who is telling you what to think, how to think, and who to hate. Who to hate. And for those of you who have read George Orwell's 1984 something is beginning to seem rather familiar. Hate Week in 1984 is a week-long festival in which the ruling party of Ingsoc, English Socialism, actively encourages the people of Oceania to direct hatred towards enemies of one sort or another. The whole purpose of Hate Week is to bind the people of Oceania more closely to the state, making it all the easier to control them. Let me go over that again just so you will understand. And again, this is from Orwell's 1984, where in Oceania, the party is always looking for ways to bind people more closely to the state. That makes it easier for them to be able to be monitored, controlled, and brainwashed. One way of achieving this goal is the national festival that Orwell describes in 1984 known as Hate Week. And the objects of their hatred are Eurasia and East Asia. And the men and women who make up the superstates, as well as Emmanuel Goldstein. They celebrate Hate Week in late summer. And during this time, there are parades, speeches, lectures, and new videos shown to the public to gin up hatred. New slogans to gin up the hatred are coined and spread, and new songs are put out directed towards support of the state and hatred of Eurasia and East Asia. The citizens of Oceania are expected to participate, of course, with gusto in all the parts of Hate Week. This includes the daily two minutes hate that occurs throughout the year. So for every day of every year, You always have to have two minutes of hate, and then you have a week that is fully focused on hatred of your opponents. Now, the various preparations are described in Orwell's 1984 for Hate Week that are listed on, I believe it's page 186, and the passage reads as follows, and I quote, quote, processions, 
meetings, military parades, lectures, displays, waxworks, film shows, telescreen programs all had to be organized. Stands had to be erected, effigies built, slogans coined, songs written, rumors circulated, photographs faked, end quote. And so, even though we all talk about Orwell's warnings in 1984, we don't heed them. We don't recognize the manipulation that surrounds us. And we don't realize that we, in 2022, are in the midst of hate week. Now, there is a horrible situation on the ground in Ukraine, and it is terrible. People have had to flee their homes to avoid this conflict. Troops on both sides of the conflict don't really want to fight. And this is where I want to personally tell you that I am for the people and for their liberty. But the leaders who are telling you to hate Russian people, the people who are all of a sudden wearing Ukrainian colors, the media pundits who are telling you that the U.S. should send our men and women to fight the Russians, are the same people, in most cases, who advocated for you to be locked down and lose your jobs if you weren't vaccinated. They're the same people who are pushing for a global citizen ID. They are the same people who are leading the nonsensical and fertile fallacy of the January 6th persecutions of ordinary people on ginned-up charges. And the companies, Apple, Microsoft, and the financial institutions that are now shutting down Russia are the same ones that shut down President Trump on January 6th. They are the same ones that shut down parlor. This is almost like, you know, maybe a public-private partnership of international political will. And by the way, that is called fascism. They are the same people who have sat by as millions of Uyghur people in China are currently experiencing a genocide. This is ongoing. But they say nothing about that. They are the same people who are advocating for critical race theory in classrooms. They are the same ones that are saying that we need to build back better by destroying, dismantling, and disrupting our nation, by creating hyperinflation. They are the same ones that are trying to bankrupt you and force you into electric vehicles. And yes, it has been Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, Emmanuel Macron, Mario Draghi, and even Klaus Schwab, who have joined in unison to call for Putin's head. And if you didn't notice, the same use of reflexivity of nonstop horrible news about Ukraine and that Vladimir Putin is a madman is on every single media outlet, social or Otherwise, 24 hours a day, and all of the sudden, the massive momentum from the truckers and the protests and the moms against critical race theory that were against Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, Boris Johnson, 
and Klaus Schwab has now stopped and disappeared from the news cycle. Like, poof, instantly gone. And now the only crisis, the only thing that you're allowed to be angry about, the object of your hate, needs to be Russia and Vladimir Putin. So if you were to watch the news on cable, read the websites of major news sites, and surf all the social media over the past few weeks, you would tend to believe that Vladimir Putin is the only evil man left alive on the world stage today, and he must be done away with. And of course, you would most likely want to put him in the same category as Adolf Hitler. Or even worse, Donald Trump. And it is important to note that in no way do I think that Vladimir Putin is a good guy by any means. He is a dictator. A dictator who has allowed Russia in many ways to be ruled by kleptocrats and technocrats. He is also a dictator who understands artificial intelligence. He understands the surveillance state. And he fully understands what plans and goals are in store with the World Economic Forum. And he knows many of these things because Putin himself was a young leader at the World Economic Forum under the tutelage of none other than Klaus Schwab. Yes, Vladimir Putin was part of this World Economic Forum young leader group with other leaders such as Angela Merkel, Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern, and Tulsi Gabbard. And what the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum learned over the past 50 years is that the world and how it is governed needs to completely change. Now, beginning in around the 1970s, in the early 1970s, the emphasis of what was the World Economic Forum really had more of a Malthusian perspective. Because there are just too many people on the planet and we need to reduce the overall population. This was also the emphasis of the Club of Rome. And so a number of new and seemingly controversial ideas were given airtime at meetings at places like Davos and wherever think tanks like the Council on Foreign Relations were meeting. And yes, over the decades, Vladimir Putin was a part of many of these meetings. There was also quite a bit of buzz about what was being discussed beginning in the early 20s And then even more so, after World War II, when cybernetics started to become more of a possible reality than just future casting of science fiction. The word cybernetics comes from the Greek meaning governance, or meaning to steer, navigate, or govern. Hence, it is the government and the governor, pilot, or helmsperson of the ship. So, the book that was called Cybernetics, or Control and Communication in the Animal and the Machine, is a book written by a man by the name of Norbert Weiner. And some people say Weiner. Norbert Weiner, and published in 1948. It completely disrupted the West thinking in regards to future planning of our civilization. It is the first public usage of the term cybernetics, to refer to self-regulating mechanisms. Now, I know to some of you, you might be thinking, well, he's getting off topic here. No, I'm not. 
Think with me. But this book, Cybernetics, laid the foundation for servo mechanisms, whether electrical, mechanical, or hydraulic, automatic navigation, analog computing, artificial intelligence, neuroscience, and much more reliable, possible digital communications. And with so many in the Western governments understanding that cybernetic automation and governance was going to be a race of the nations. And that to win this race and to win the world, they believed that we needed to move past the Westphalian sovereign nation system of governance. Now you know why I've named my organization Sovereign Nations. You see, the globe was going to be digital soon. They knew this in the 1940s. Heck, H.G. Wells knew about this in the 1920s. So there was a strong push towards cooperation and sharing of information and technology to leave no nation behind, to create a healthier world where the big problems of mankind could be solved, even the problem of death. And so one of the issues, if you are creating a safer and healthier world, is man himself. If man's lifespan could possibly be reaching the lengths of 200 or 300 years or even longer, you're going to need to curb replication of the species. But those are just some of the problems that have been discussed over the past many years. Also part of this discussion is the dissolution of sovereign currencies and the development of central bank digital currencies. Digital currencies that can be programmed to affect the ability of the buyer to buy and sell as they choose. Also, the idea of governance and data, because data is the new gold. Data is the new oil. And for all of this to actually work, we are going to need to start thinking beyond silly things like sovereign nations. And what would be so much better if those that are actually involved in research and creating things have a say on what is governance. And hence... This is one of the concepts that led to the development of the World Economic Forum. This, and especially the concept of what Klaus Schwab refers to as stakeholder capitalism, which is not free market capitalism at all. It is essentially socialism and redistribution that follows what is called the ESG model. And this is the system that the World Economic Forum and all of the major companies of the world have joined with the World Economic Forum for. They want to demand that every nation state on earth must embrace this. And Vladimir Putin was in those meetings. Now, all of this being said, let's think again about Vladimir Putin. He has been a part of the World Economic Forum since he was much younger. Putin has been attending the Davos summits for years. Putin speaks regularly to the World Economic Forum leadership and all the rest of the leaders of the world. He is quite aware of what is going on. And maybe you aren't. You see, he is in the know. And for many years, he has been playing a bit of hardball with the European Union and with the G7 powers and with NATO. And over the past decade or so, a number of things have happened. 
first. In a period between 2004 and 2005, you had what is referred to as an Odpor-styled color revolution in Ukraine. This was the Orange Revolution, which led to massive protests, demonstrations, and an attempt to create more or less a replacement of government through corrupt elections, along with the massive protests creating a frenzy of confusion. Just more or less think about the George Floyd riots, the massive demonstrations, combined with the corporate buy-in of Black Lives Matters, combined with the craziness of the 2020 election, and you pretty much experience something like a color revolution yourself here in the United States. Maybe I'll talk about that at some point. But this happened in Ukraine in the early part of the 2000s. And what it led to was a government that was not as friendly with Putin's Russia, but was more friendly with the European Union, more friendly with George Soros's Open Societies Foundations more friendly with international NGOs, and interest coming in from the United States and the World Economic Forum. So maybe you were starting to see where conflict had been brewing here in Ukraine for quite a while. Combine this with an enormous amount of business deals between folks like, let's say, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Mitt Romney, and others with globalist interests that have made them millions of dollars through Ukraine. And it would be a shame if anyone found out about any of this, wouldn't it? I mean, if you remember, the entire impeachment trial that happened with Donald Trump in 2019 and early 2020 surrounded Ukraine, Zelensky, and things that were happening with the Bidens. Now, with all these backroom Ukraine deals, the United States and the European Union are having quite a bit of influence now, aren't they? Right at Putin's doorstep. And encouraging Ukraine to become part of the European Union and of NATO. So if you become part of the European Union and of NATO... That means you can move armed forces into Ukraine. You can move nuclear weapons into Ukraine. So imagine if China had moved forces into Mexico, right on our border. If they had moved nuclear weapons into Mexico, right on our border. Or how about even into Canada? So in many ways, Putin's move was not irrational, impulsive, or in his mind, unjustifiable. As a matter of fact, he signaled that if Ukraine continued to move in this direction, that he would eventually take action. And so this was certainly not unexpected, especially after Putin had gone and met with Xi Jinping. And for years, Putin had warned that including Ukraine in NATO was a red line for Russia. It should not be difficult to understand, then, his position. So it is not unreasonable for Russia to object to the presence of what it perceives to be a hostile military alliance on its border with a country that has historically been either part of Russia or within its sphere of influence. And now let's look back at the World Economic Forum, NATO, and what's been happening here in the West. 
and in their drive to implement a new world order that will give them complete control in a digital panopticon, the Western globalists have been dismissive of Putin and Russia's security concerns. Russia continued its strenuous objections and warned that if they were not taken seriously, they would take necessary action to keep Ukraine out of NATO. Oh, he's been signaling this for quite a while. The last time Russia made this clear was in November of 2021, just a few months ago, and he was ignored. Let me just give you an example from a Wall Street Journal article that says what transpired. And I quote, On 30th of November 2021, Russian President Vladimir Putin stated that an expansion of NATO's presence in Ukraine, especially the deployment of any long-range missiles capable of striking Russian cities or missile defense systems similar to those in Romania and Poland, would be a red-line issue for Russia. Putin asked U.S. President Joe Biden for a legal guarantee that NATO would not expand eastward or put, quote, weapon systems that threaten us in close vicinity to Russian territory, end quote. So do you want to know what kind of response Putin received to his legitimate security concerns? I mean, these are legitimate concerns, the same ones that we would have. Well, the response was not given back to him by Biden. It was given by NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. And this is what he told Putin. Quote, It's only Ukraine and 30 NATO allies that decide when Ukraine is ready to join NATO. Russia has no veto. Russia has no say. And Russia has no right to establish a sphere of influence to try and control their neighbors. End quote. So not only did the pompous globalist Stoltenberg refuse to address Russian security fears or sit down and even discuss it, but he also implied that pipsqueak countries like North Macedonia, Portugal, who appeared to be members of NATO, have a greater say than Russia and whether a large country on its border joins the alliance. So having ridden roughshod over their population for nearly two years with their lockdown and vaccine regime, the Western globalists grew arrogant, overbearing, and overconfident. You see, the world is their oyster now. They lost touch with reality in many ways and assumed that everyone would submit to their will in the same way their own docile populations went along with their random vaccine edicts and mandates where we obeyed their every rule, their stupid rules, their non-science-based rules. But Putin would not bend to the global chicanery and did exactly what he had kept warning about for years if Russian concerns were not adequately addressed. So in his mind, again, this is a horrible situation and we don't want any of this to be happening. The violence that's occurring, the possible lives that are being lost, people losing their homes, stability in the entire region being upended. Well, in Putin's mind, he invaded Ukraine to stop NATO's expansion into the country, which he shares nearly a thousand miles of border with, and which once hosted Russia's capital. So yes, Putin did do what he said he was going to do. 
And yeah, it was an act of a strongman dictator who felt increasingly encircled and threatened by what he deemed to be an antagonistic military bloc that would be setting up short-range nuclear weapons possibly on its border. So Putin's move, though, did come as a great shock to the Western elites who could not have imagined someone standing up to them in such a bold way. And so they were completely unprepared for the obvious, which he already said he would do, and went into complete panic mode as they realized how many innocent lives could be lost because of their lack of preparation and their lack of willingness to sit down at the table. And so now, the propaganda circus that you are so familiar with now, after COVID-19, and after the George Floyd riots and the Black Lives Matter campaign, that's really what you need to call it, and after the campaigns of January 6th, it's the same thing all over again. That's why it feels so familiar and why so many of you are watching these things and going, look, I love people and I don't want to see people be being killed and I hate what's happening to Ukraine, but something just feels weird here. It feels strangely familiar. So you will not hear why Putin decided to take action, wrongly or rightly. You're not going to hear any of that discussion. And you will only hear one side of this conflict created with stunningly obvious marketing and propaganda. You will be told that questioning what is happening basically is your endorsing of Putin and the lives lost in this conflict. In other words, this has now become the new ivermectin. This is complete nonsense. This is not how you study history and... This is not how you study the present. And if you have felt as if everything that is happening around you is pure marketing and propaganda, well, you would be correct. And when you ask the rhetorical question of, quote, why is Putin doing this? And the only answer is, quote, well, he's a crazy man. And then you know that we are back in the same reflexivity and propaganda territory and the same propaganda that led to the invasion of Iraq. The bungled mess in Afghanistan. The Paris Climate Accord. COP26. COVID-19. And Black Lives Matter. Here we go again. And that is why I am here to help you make sure that you find your way through this. Putin is not a good guy. But also, the World Economic Forum and the globalists are not good guys either. And the president of Ukraine is still an actor. And you are being forced to watch a grand drama unfolding on the grandest of stages. But you must question everything. You must trust nothing. And you must get back to the causes of things. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. <laughs>